This week's episode is brought to you by Warner Brothers Alternative Television's A Christmas Story Live. A live television event on Fox led by an all-star cast, including Matthew Broderick, Maya Rudolph, Jane Krakowski, Chris Diamantopoulos, and Anna Gasteyer. A Christmas Story Live was inspired by the classic holiday film and the Tony Award-nominated Broadway musical. It was brought to life by the producers of La La Land and created instant holiday classics with original music from famed Broadway composers Benj Pasek and Justin Paul. A Christmas Story Live for your consideration in all categories. Visit WBFYC.com. Hi, I'm Dominic Patton. And I'm Pete Hammond. And this is the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. Today we'll be discussing the Emmy contenders for Best Actor in a Limited Series or Movie, and you'll hear Dominic's interview with Frankie Shaw from Showtime's Smilf, my favorite title of a TV show, and my interview with the cast of Ozark from our uh, annual Emmy Contenders event. Smilf is a great title. Though a lot of people <laughs> took offense at it, which I find very interesting because, in fact, that's, I think, part of the appeal of it. Yeah. But best actor in a limited series or movie, mm. hard category. It is Hard always. category. Totally going to Jeff Daniels for The Looming Tower. Well, we love Jeff Daniels, and a lot of people didn't think he was going to win for The Newsroom the very first year he was up in the Best Actor in a Drama Series, and he surprised everybody by winning there. There's a lot of love out there in Emmy land, uh, if not Oscar land, for Jeff Daniels. A lot of, Je a lot of love. A lot and of love. he's yeah. such a good, reliable actor. I think Jeff Daniels is the Jeff Bridges of Emmys. He is. People love the man. Yeah. They love the man. They like, they like how understated he is in person, and they like how bombastic he is on screen. And I think they'll be watching this particular show, yeah. uh, the the uh, Looming Tower, because it is really powerful stuff. It is very powerful stuff. And it has, it has a great supporting cast. P Peter Sarsgaard is great in his yeah. composite role as a CIA agent. But but Daniels, as um, as John O'Neill, the FBI agent who was in lead of the New York office's counterterrorism unit, who really, really was so close to catching some of these guys, if it hadn't been for the bureaucratic snafus, yeah. snafu being my Showtime series, oh. um, uh, <laughs> based on my life, of course, um, is uh, is very, very strong. And of course, the thing is, O'Neill died in 9-11, which is what the Looming Tower is the lead up to, because yes. after he left the FBI, he became the head of security for the World Trade Center. So oh. he actually died on that on that terrible day in 2001. So I think that that will have a great emotional resonance with people. And I believe, as your theory is always very strong, that if you win once, you're going to win again. And that could go for Benedict Cumberbatch, who uh, won for Sherlock in this category, was nominated like four other times. Also was nominated for Parades In. They love, they love them some Benedict Cumberbatch. And That's he, all I and, can say. And it is elementary, my dear Watson, that yeah. for pa for Patrick Melrose, which is based on the, the I think, the five books of a uh, aristocratic, uh, well, a, a man who is greatly abused by his father and has a, a life where he greatly abuses himself until the end and then cleans up, I think... Uh, I, I think, think Benedict's it's, fantastic. It's very possible, yeah. and it's a very popular street in Los Angeles. It'll constantly remind people of that show every As, time they drive down you know Melrose. What? You, do you think that that's a real helper for the Emmys? I do, really? because they, they can take out billboards, but if you're going, I'm going on Melrose, and you've watched the show, it'll come into your head. You know, Patrick Melrose, it's a great name. Wow, you, you, you've done a lot of therapy. Clearly. I have done a lot. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know, Dr. Freud, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Who's playing and, Dr. Freud this year? Uh, They've got it in the exactly. bag. Exactly. Well, I'm, I don't know, but you are definitely Dr. Watson on this okay, one. Okay. So but I do, but I, I agree with you. I think, I think that, that Jeff, I think Jeff Daniels is going to win. 
But I think that that Benedict is going to be a very strong oh, contender. Formidable. And I'll say this too. Also, I think that one thing I know it doesn't carry carry much weight with with Emmy Emmy, Emmy voters, as it nor as it does with Oscars. Right. The fact is, he also plays Doctor Strange and in oh, Infinity War. And the fact is, is that is the kind of thing that I think a lot of people yeah. love. Is we see these actors who they respect for their craft, they respect yeah. for their talent, they respect for their wit and their poise, yeah. and then you see them in the, some of the biggest movies ever, yeah. and it gives that feeling of this is a populist choice. And he has so many fans out there, and I think. A lot of them are in the Television Academy, too. I believe they're called Cumberbitches. Ouch. And uh, yes, language, they are. Language, language. Uh, well, I'm sorry, but that's what they call them. And here's another one who's a past winner here for Angels in America and God knows what else, Al Pacino. When we have Al Pacino eligible, you know. I don't think so. Paterno? Now, you know what? It's one of those Al Pacino, slow burn, exploding. I know the story. <laughs> and also, I think the story is, I, you know, there are sometimes when people make, and maybe this is something that also may affect Anthony, uh, Antonio Banderas with Genius, where he plays Pablo Picasso. I think sometimes when you make these shows, some stories fall out of the cultural mindset. Yeah. To flip that, I think one that didn't, for instance, is Unsolved, the murders of Tupac and the Notorious B.I.G., which, of course— yeah. Two legends in the hip hop in, in, in the hip hop world, but also a story that again and again through like various LAPD investigations, various books, talks about who was involved, who killed who, was it Puffy, was it Suge Knight, et cetera, et cetera. Suge Knight, who magically always appears in the news doing something or another. Yeah. So I do think that Wavy Jones, and who's a newcomer really too, yeah. uh, playing Notorious B.I.G. Christopher Wallace and Mark Rose, who plays Tupac, I actually do think that this is a story because of the impact of the story and the fact it is one of those, like, why isn't this solved? You know, there's a great Chris Rock line about, you know, Tupac was shot on the Las Vegas Strip yeah. after a Mike Tyson fight. Yeah. Fewer people saw the end of Seinfeld than saw that assassination, and yet no one's ever been caught for who actually killed Seinfeld. It's Sein really yeah. amazing, and there's a, a major motion picture coming out uh, with the same kind of storyline, Johnny Depp, Forrest Whitaker, about the investigation into this. It's a great unsolved uh, thing. I'm wondering how many Academy voters have seen this show? I well, I tell, uh, one thing I think has given a lot of push to it is, you know, Anthony Hemingway uh, is the, is an EP on this and director of most of the episodes, mainly the episodes. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, obviously Anthony was part of the OJ team that won the Emmy. So right. I think that there is uh, there is some some string to this one. I really do. And I think that two of these young, two young guys do exceptional work on this. And I think they deserve to be recognized. Not to date myself, but I actually knew Tupac Shakur. Really? I used to produce him all the time when he appeared on the Arsenio Hall show. You are was so dating yourself I in am, a way that a lot of people... You're you're gonna, you're gonna, you can go around to like hip hop cons this was in and the, sign, sign uh, uh, artwork. This was in the fabulous '90s. Pete, ha Pete Hammond is at Hip Hop Con Nebraska <laughs> this weekend. Fifteen dollars yeah. for his autograph. No, I found him to be a very nice young guy, and you know, it was such he was a, an incredibly such a shame. talented actor. He was really incredibly oh, incredibly talented, incredibly actor. talented. You know, yeah. one of the great poets of hip hop, and you know, of course, also someone who a lot of people know. You know, the violence, and there was there was the threats, and there was the East Coast West yeah. Coast beef and stuff like that. You know, people forget his mother was. A of the Black Panthers. You know, right. he come from a highly, highly activist and political background. Yeah. And I think he was someone who greatly, I mean, I'm a huge Tupac fan. I mean, I think he's one of the, the kings of, of modern music. He still lives on. I but, mean, he's yeah, still very he's much a so. I mean, they still, star they now, still release, somehow they find new tracks they keep to release and, you know, new or stuff. remakes and stuff like that. I know. But right. I, do think, I do think in this that that is one of the reasons why Unsolved might have a lot of legs in here because I think that there's something Academy voters are aware of the culture as much as, as anybody can be who are outside the culture. And I think we're seeing increasingly the hip hop generation of which I am a member, are becoming part of the mainstream of that of, of the voters. Look, yeah. I am an Academy member, as I say over and over again, yeah. but I am a non-voter because I 
Anyway, this is my thing. But I do think that this is something that could really, you know, I think the guys could get a, a shot. And you know what's interesting, too, here? Let's bring up something else from that era. Um, Twin Peaks. Originally. Ah, Kyle McLaughlin. Back. And Kyle has been nominated before, and now he's playing the same role, and he's nominated, uh, hopefully, for him uh, again, or he's trying to be nominated. And I think he's got a shot. There's I think a, he's got a real shot. A I little really bit of nostalgia shot. I mean, I think, I think Twin, Twin Peaks, I think, you know, some of the best – Definitely the weirdest television you'll ever see. We're in those first that first season, oh, and brilliant. again in this third season that was brought back on Showtime. Yeah. I really do think there yeah. was some exceptional work here, and Kyle certainly deserves credit for Kyle's it. Great. And what is, again is like kind of a dual multi-headed role that he had of yeah. Mister Mr. Lynch and Mister Frost's multi-headed vision. Totally. So yes, definitely. Plus, okay. Anyways, people like Kyle McLaughlin. They I mean, love I think, them. I think that's something you need He's to a remember. Nice guy. People like him. They like him from Portlandia. Yeah. They like him from uh, Real Hot. They like him from Desperate Housewives. They like Housewives. him from Blue Velvet. They love him. Yeah, Blue Velvet. Wow, I mean, you know how to date yourself that. there, my oh, friend. Oh, well, wow. you know what? You can go out and rent it. You know, I you can't. Can I can go tonight. to Blockbuster and that get it. That's right. me. Yeah, Blue that's Velvet right. Is a I get it from Blockbuster. And it was from David Lynch, you know, before he did Twin Peaks. Dust off my VHS. Yes, okay. I'm waiting for the TV miniseries of Blue Velvet. Yes. Fire your door. Okay. And also we have, oh, Evan Peters. Now, he's playing seven roles in American uh, Horror Story. One of which is Andy Warhol. Cool. Well, so, I think that's a good— You know, I think it's funny because there is kind of a Ryan Murphy edge to this because there's also yeah. Darren Chris with the assassination that's of right. Janet Versace, the, the, the second American crime story. I think— um, What do you I think? I think Evan— might. I think so, because he's the Tatiana Maslany of this yeah. category. And you love some Tatiana. I love her and all the roles <laughs> also, she plays. But, but that's a common Glockin thing. I yeah. do think there is something to be said for people who really do, they do multi-roles yeah. in these things. I, I think, you know, do they get paid double? Probably not, but they should or more. But well, it's great. I do think that there is something for that. So, yes, I do definitely think Evan Peters has a real shot with his okay. role in America. Plus, that was a very political role because yes. that was sort of a, a Trump-Clinton election fallout role. And I think that, that that's something in this age of Trumpisms everywhere. I think that that is something that resonates with people. So, And also, just one last thing. I just love this guy, and so I can't do one of these without at least mentioning him for those fans of David Strathairn. Uh, he's in AMC's McMafia, and uh, the show was just renewed. And so, uh, you know, maybe he'll have uh, some action here, too. I'm not so sure. But he's a very popular actor among actors. Very true. Yes. What also is very true is we have a now a word from our sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by Warner Brothers Alternative Television's A Christmas Story Live. A live television event on Fox led by an all-star cast, including Matthew Broderick, Maya Rudolph, Jane Krakowski, Chris Diamantopoulos, and Anna Gasteyer. A Christmas Story Live was inspired by the classic holiday film and the Tony Award-nominated Broadway musical. It was brought to life by the producers of La La Land and created instant holiday classics with original music from famed Broadway composers Benj Pasek and Justin Paul. A Christmas Story Live, for your consideration in all categories. Visit WBFYC.com. Earlier this year, I had a great, great opportunity to sit down with Frankie Shaw, who is the creator, showrunner, producer, and star of Showtime Smilf, which I thought was one of the best shows of 2017. Just fantastic. And it's coming back for a second season. Take a listen. So I want to start off right away in talking about it. You know, the title of the show mm -hmm. is something which it, unto itself is almost a story. Because some people look at it and are like, oh, what's all that about? And some people look at it and go, uh, that's saying something I'm maybe not into. 
for you, was that a consideration in, in the show, and how did you overcome it? Yeah, so when I had made the short film, I called it Smilf, and it sort of just automatically stuck when we sold it as a series. And there was some discussion about whether we should change it or not. With we, Showtime? With Showtime. Yeah. Um, when we got the pickup, our launch was shortly thereafter. So there was only about two weeks before we were starting to get together press and all of that. So we didn't have that much time to do tests. It was more of an internal discussion. Um, Did you, I mean, obviously when you had the film at Sundance, Sundance is its thing, right? Yes. You know, there are, like for instance, Fruitvale Station. Right. Uh, was originally called Fruitvale at right. Sundance, changed the title because some people thought, you know, if you call it Fruitvale, unless you live in the Bay Area, you're going to think it's about some guy selling vegetables. Right. right. Did you think of making a change to it? Yeah, I mean, I'm still really torn because I hear people who are um, turned off by it. And so the intention behind it was always sort of this feminist reclaiming of a derogatory term um, of MILF. Um, but what we didn't maybe consider was just, you know, that it has you know, a curse word in the title. And where does, where's that problematic? And we're actually addressing that this season with our marketing. And there's also been- In, a, in season in two. In season two, yeah. yeah. And there's also been a discussion like, should we change the title, which we are not going to. One of the things that you depict in it is this is, this is a single mom yeah. raising a little kid in Boston, has, you know, a whole bunch of different things going on in her life and trying to get ahead in her life. Right. And that seeking of traction. But it's interesting because it's a story you don't see that often anymore. This is someone who shouldn't have a lot of money. Right. And she's around people who do have money, right. Connie Britton's family and what have you. Part of that depiction for you, you know, do you, is that important to you to show those different elements of American life? Yeah, I mean, I'm very familiar with that struggle. So it was inherently going to be part of the story. And then I think that on one hand, when we watch TV that sort of ignores financial um, circumstance and, and the, um, just like, the challenges that a lot of Americans face, there's like fantasy element to it, right? So there's a way to, es there's escapism. But it was really important with our show that we're actually representing the true trials and problems when you don't have enough money to feed your kid or you don't have mon enough money for childcare, you know, and all that. And I think that actually goes into some of the title debate because, you know, the word SMILF has a certain connotation, but then you watch the show and it's nothing like that. And so I just feel like this show is trying to sort of turn expectations on its head. So if you talk about changing the title, even talking about changing the title of the season two, are you thinking like, a, like what they did with Jane the Virgin? Once Jane was no longer a virgin, right. like they literally changed the title card at the beginning of every show. Is it yeah, Smilf, not Smilf? I have, I have, it's sort of like, we had an idea of like, you know, a title and then the show formerly known as, but we're not doing that. But I do so have an answer. So you're going to be like Prince and create a sign? There, yeah, yeah, we're just going to be a symbol <laughs> of a basketball. That's it. That's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> but with we, a basketball, you have to have like, you maybe have to have like an Aerosmith, like uh, something very Boston on it. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. So, you know, I mean, part of this sort of discussion is I was just, just did the showrunner panel and someone had said, um, oh, my husband refused to watch the show because of the title. But then we were doing this panel, so we watched it and we love it. You know, so it's those moments where I'm like, oh, are we actually alienating an audience but hopefully the idea is people will find it to find their way in somehow and and there are a lot of people who are finding it now you know a lot of people found you in many ways from yeah. your your time on mr robot uh -huh. and on good girls revolt mm -hmm. and i wanted to get a sense is you know that's as an actress this is as you said you're a showrunner yeah. you're a creator and you're the star you're a writer on this 
you know, what did you learn from working on those shows and looking at the people and learning from the people, if you did learn from them, on yeah. those shows that helped you for Smilf? Mr. Robot was really influential to me. Um, Sam, I had, when I had shot the season of Mr. Robot, I was already in development with Showtime for Smilf. So I was by the monitor watching the way he works, and I really admire and, um, and just was trying to soak everything up that I could from him. He's also a 6'2 Egyptian man, and when he tells the studio I'm not writing outlines, they listen. It's a little bit different with me. Um, but he... Is that, Frankie, I want to ask you that. You yeah. Know, okay, so Sam is a 6'2 Egyptian man. But yeah. You're a tremendously creative and talented person, and yet you still found, like you mentioned earlier, there's a little bit of push with Showtime. And Showtime, you know, they're big supporters of the show, clearly. Well, uh, I would just say, finding, though, your, finding your own voice, was that part of the issue? It's not really about them. Mm -hmm. It was really a process, at least just in the pilot development, that I had to feel um, confident in my own voice. And that was a process. I feel much more um, able to sort of stand my ground now. I would say that... Um, it was my first time developing. It was my first time on a note, on notes calls with like 20 people. And there is this thing of like wanting to be a good student and wanting to knock over 12 hours and give, you know, just like follow the rules a little bit. And I think this job is a combination of both things, right? And like honoring the creative and staying true to the story. Because what I found over and over that it's the, the first idea, the gut idea is the, is the one, is the one that wins. And if you don't listen to that, your show, your episode, your script, that's all going to suffer. Um, and, but there's a way in which, because it's not, it's not just like I'm, go, I'm not making short films. It's like this a bunch of, a whole lot more money and a whole lot more people. Um, but I feel like in the beginning when I was first developing the show, I really was taking in other people's idea of what the show should be a little bit, um, listening to that more than I was listening to myself. And then there was just like a complete shift. And it was never, there was never like, it was never contentious. It just, I just became a little bit more not afraid, you know? And so, and that's when it sort of came together. And I think that is essential in order to um, even just get a show on air. I had a great time with Jason Bateman and the cast of Ozark at our recent Contenders event. And uh, the really eye-opening stuff in this interview. So take a listen. There's a lot of good television now, and you're getting a chance to do things that you've probably not done. I mean, Jason, you've been in this business a long time, and, you know, this is a different time. You're able to do adventurous stuff like this, I imagine. Yes. I mean, I feel very fortunate that I was um, em embraced, hired, encouraged to do uh, dramatic work. Uh, I, I've, I've dabbled in that. I, I do it when I'm when I'm allowed to um, but this was um, this was originally something that I was really excited about doing as a director and it, it, the the um, the challenge for me was I mean I'm sort of a I'm either a, a masochist or a hedonist however you you look at that job uh, as a director but I I, I really wanted to um, challenge myself to direct a 600 page movie I wanted to do I was going to direct all 10 episodes um, and I talked MRC into it and, and, and Netflix into it. And, um, and then ultimately, as we got into budgeting and scheduling, I couldn't carve out enough time to prep them all and ended up just doing the first two and the last two of the, of the first season. But as, as EP on the show, um, it, it allowed me to 
kind of scratch that same sort of challenge itch uh, by overseeing that whole process. As you know, in television, that that's sort of the the responsibility lane that that's that's similar to the to the director on a film. So that's been really really. Um, satisfying and fulfilling um, uh, uh, creatively and, and you know, working with this incredible cast that we pulled together and, and, and remarkably, uh, it, it kind of broke through a bit in the, in the clutter. There's so much good stuff on television. I'm, I'm so appreciative that, that people checked it out and, and, uh, and for the most part stuck, stuck with it, I guess. I mean, Netflix won't let us see behind the curtain, but, um, I, I, you know, you we got... You can't even got, see the numbers in Netflix? No, no. Uh, why, why, would you, why would you arm somebody with the leverage to renegotiate, you know? Um, but, you know, I, I get it. Um, but, uh, you know, we got, it, we got another year out of it, and we're two episodes away from finishing that, so I guess that in and of itself was uh, um, sort of proof that enough people are watching it to justify the, the expense. Well, Julia, Julia, let me give you the leverage to renegotiate. You're terrific in this show. Thank you so yeah, much. <laughs> she is such, a, Ruth, is such an interesting character. She just comes out all guns blazing, basically, and goes from there, and your whole relationship here with Marty, uh, the character Jason plays, is unique. So you're not from Arkansas. You're not from... No, I'm from Manhattan. <laughs> no, I feel, so, I feel so lucky. I mean... Jason is just, I feel so lucky to have worked on this and to play this character and just to be a part of something so special, so. Yeah, how did you, how did you get the role? Uh, I, I, <laughs> Tricky times. Uh, <laughs> uh, I auditioned for it, but I remember reading the first episode and Ruth wasn't in the first episode. Um, but there was the audition sides, and I just remember thinking the script was amazing, and I was I was obsessed with it. I couldn't let it go, and I, I don't have a hard time letting things go, but I, I, I felt like I needed this part. I really loved her a lot. Thanks for listening to the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes so you never miss an episode, and of course... Please remember, when we're wrong, which we are going to be so many times in this Emmy nomination uh, process, in this race, please flame us. <laughs> and of course, yes, thank you for that. Uh, you can find all of our Emmy breaking news coverage at Deadline.com. Thanks for joining us. Talk to you later. Bye.